Appreciate that song from Sister Phyllis, and what a good message, good reminder that uh, one of the most important things we can do is just to tell the Lord thank you, and and just do that. I certainly do desire your prayers tonight. If you uh, have been following along in the Word, and if you were looking ahead, you know where we're going tonight. And I want to read in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Matthew 5, 31 and 32, it says, It hath been said, Whoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. I was telling Mary this uh, weekend, I said, I get to preach on repentance Sunday morning and about divorce on Sunday night. Um, Certainly a challenging topic and certainly uh, going right into Valentine's Day on Tuesday. Um, But uh, it's my desire tonight to honor the Lord and honor His Word and to try to preach to the best of my ability what God has said here without fear of man, but only with fear of God. And this is the Word of God. This is the Word of Christ. And every word that He's given to us is important and significant. And truth be told, um, none of us live up to hardly any of it, Amen. quite honestly, right? And so... Um, I think we should kind of keep some of these things in mind, but as we go into this passage tonight, and I don't want to be, be negative as we go into this, I want to treat it with, uh, with, with faithfulness and, and with hope um, and with love. I want us, before we start looking at this passage and thinking about it, to talk about what is marriage? What is marriage? Marriage is a God-ordained covenant between a man and a woman that is intended and designed to last a lifetime. I'll say it again because I'm going to explain those words a little bit. It's a God-ordained covenant between a man and a woman intended and designed to last a lifetime. I said it's God-ordained because God invented it. Not man. God set it up. God did this Himself. It is the very first human institution. Before He ordained government, 
Before he ordained the church, he ordained the relationship between a man and a woman called marriage. And this relationship is a covenant relationship. We understand that from scriptures, meaning it's a binding relationship. It's a relationship entered before God and typically symbolized with a covenant sign. What we do often today are wedding rings, and it's a symbol of the covenant. I'm not saying you have to have a wedding ring to be married. I'm just saying that it's a symbol. It's carried down. It's a concept that's meant to indicate that we've entered into a covenant relationship with someone else. And I said that it's intended to last a lifetime. Because God not only invented it, He fashioned its purpose. And Jesus said in Mark 10, 9, What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And so God intended it to last. God makes marriage. And not only did He set out the intent, He is involved in the joining together of a man and a woman. It's something that we do on this earth You don't have to do it in a church, although I think it's a nice practice to do it in a church. But wherever you do this, if you enter into this relationship, it is something that is recognized in heaven. And there is a divine joining of the man and the woman. And when the two have become one in that sense through the covenant of marriage, and they have been joined together separating what God has joined together is akin to taking two pieces of paper that have been glued together and pulling it apart while trying not to tear the other one. Because the fact is you get two sheets of paper and you glue them together and you start to tear that, you're going to start to do more damage to those sheets of paper, right? You're not going to be able to pull them apart and get them exactly like they were at first because there's going to be pieces that come apart from this. And whether the separation of marriage is by divorce or by death, it's painful. It's painful when this covenant relationship ends. And God's intention is for it to last a lifetime. His intention is for it to last the full lifetime. And so our question tonight, as we're going to look at this text, we're going to be talking about God's institution of marriage. Because of what Jesus says here, I know where eyes zero in, the focus is, the question is, is there a biblically legitimate circumstance besides death for ending a marriage? Because there is a clause in here, in fact, that's the title of the message, the divorce clause, that we find in the midst of verse 32. And we're going to be talking about that, but we're going to kind of build our foundation. But let me say this, and please hear this. I am not giving an exhaustive treatment to the topic of marriage and divorce tonight. I am not covering every circumstance and situation. I am trying to focus on this text, but I'm having to kind of build a foundation so that we look at it and try to understand it properly. So, I'm not covering every situation here. I'm covering what Jesus addresses right here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. So as Jesus has been doing as we go down through Matthew chapter 5, is he is saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Okay? So he's going through what they in their current cultural circumstance understand And what we've learned is that the way they read the law 
And the way they read the things in the Old Testament was not exactly the way God intended it. Okay? And surprise, surprise, we can solve that problem today. We can read things and we can read it the way we want to read it or the way that is convenient for us to read it. And we want to try with God's help to not do that tonight, to read this as clearly as we can the way that God, Jesus himself, intended it when he said it. That was a problem. And so Jesus starts off each of these different parts talking about what they thought they understood. And here in this passage, we start to see a little departure from the way he had been addressing things. Because he had been talking the last couple times about some of the commandments. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Those are right out of the Ten Commandments. This is the first time that Jesus is not speaking or starting off with one of the Ten Commandments. He says, It has been said, Whoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. That's not one of the Ten Commandments. That's Old Testament case law. There's a difference. What do you mean, Old Testament case law? Let's go look at that passage together because we need to understand the background and the culture of Jesus' day. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 24. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to turn to it here because I have it in my notes, but I'm not quite sure what Bible version I used, and I don't want to be confusing um, about what I read here as I look at this with you. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then... Let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it into her hand, and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and giveth it in her hand, and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, the first husband, which sent her away, who divorced her, may not take her again to be his wife. After that, she is defiled, for that is abomination before the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. And so Moses here is speaking to the Israelites, and he's speaking to a specific circumstance about a man and woman who were married and they divorced. And the wife goes and marries another guy. And they either get divorced or he dies. Moses is saying it is an abomination to go back and remarry the first guy. That is contrary to what God wants. It's something that God detests, that God hates. That was the specific focus of what Moses is addressing. That is the case law here in this passage. He is addressing that circumstance about remarrying somebody you were previously married to after you had married somebody else. Okay? That was the point. But, and this is the passage that Jesus is referring to, but the Jewish people went and focused in on this passage because it was a place where divorce was addressed in the Old Testament. 
And so when they were looking about what is a reasonable cause for divorce, they were going to this and they were focusing in on verse 1, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, where it says, if it comes to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because he has found an uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement. We understand later from what Jesus says in Matthew 19, which we'll study someday, have faith, that that was because of the hardness of heart. That was not Moses saying, divorce is great, it's good, it's fine, whenever you want it. That's not what Moses was doing. There was, it was recognized that it was there, and, Jesus, and Moses was trying to make sure people didn't go back and do something even worse. Okay? But the Jewish people were focusing in on that verse 1 as a rationale, a reason for granting divorce, because he found some uncleanness in the woman. Well, what is an uncleanness? Well, it's not really defined for us there in the passage. And there were two leading schools of thought at that time that Jesus was around. One that had been around for a while was from Rabbi Hillel. If you're familiar with many other, much of Judaism, Hillel is a, somewhat of a familiar name. He had been around from about 30 B.C. to around 10 A.D. He was Gamaliel's grandfather. Gamaliel was the one who was kind of a mentor to the Apostle Paul when he was young, when he was known as Saul. So this traces back up the roots to this Rabbi Hillel. And Hillel believed and taught as a very uh, famous rabbi at the time that divorce was permissible for any matter that displeased a man. Anything. If he found somebody else who was more desirable, he could divorce his wife. If she burned his dinner, she could divorce, he could divorce his wife. Right? There was another school of thought that was around when Jesus was around as well. That was from Rabbi Shammai. He was there approximately 30 AD. His view was that divorce was only permissible in the case of adultery or some major offense. That was the only thing that would fit the uncleanness. And so there were these two schools of thought. Guess which one people tended towards? The more permissible one what Rabbi Hillel had taught. We see that this was kind of a prevalent thought around Jesus' day because when Jesus later addresses the topic of divorce in Matthew 19, consider what his disciples say in response. Matthew 19, verses 7 through 10, it says, They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another, he commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. When Jesus' own disciples heard what Jesus said about marriage and that the only clause condition was if there was some immorality that occurred in the relationship, they said it'd be better to just not get married if that's the only legitimate reason for a divorce. You think about 
what it took for those guys to say that. Think about the mentality. Think about the constant oppression and the tension in the home that had to exist where if any little thing all of a sudden gave the husband a right to say, I'm done. You know, the husband comes home from working, smells the air, Hadassah! Another burnt offering? Really? Right? I'm done. I'm out. I have found an uncleanness in you. That seems to be the culture that Jesus was speaking into as he is preaching this Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapter 5. And what Jesus was saying to these people was very, very radical to their ears. And we live in a culture today where divorce is very common and it is very permissible in a lot of eyes. And it's just something you do. In fact, it's come to the point where many just don't marry because they see no purpose, no reason. They've gone through having parents who were divorced and saw all the pain and suffering and they just say, why bother? Why bother? So let's start to think about Jesus' word on divorce. He says, okay, this is what you've heard. This is what you think. This is where the culture's at. But here is what I'm telling you. And what I want us to do first is just look at what he says and take the clause out, okay? In verse 32, look at what he says and get rid of the clause, okay? Just to focus on the big point. Okay, so I'm going to leave the clause out. Whosoever shall put his way as wife causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. We'll, we'll deal with the clause in a second. So Jesus is talking here about divorce for inappropriate reasons, causes the, one, the, the wife that he divorced, causes her to commit adultery if she remarries, and the guy who marries her to commit adultery in marrying her. That is the primary point Jesus is trying to make in this passage. And we know what adultery is. We just talked about that. Adultery is one of the Ten Commandments. And the commandment is, don't do it. Don't do it. I think we can all agree that's in the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery. Do not be unfaithful to your spouse with another. I want to ask four questions. The first question is, how can a divorced individual commit Adultery. If they've been divorced, that marriage has been annulled, it's been broken, how can a person who is divorced commit adultery? Wouldn't it just be fornication? I mean, sexual immorality? Why would it be called adultery? Well, it's because God's intention and His design for that initial marriage is for it to be reconciled, not permanently severed. And by permanently severed, I refer back to what Moses said. Once you've gone and married somebody else, there ain't no going back. There's not supposed to be any going back. That's called an abomination to God. And that's like about a dirty word as you can get when it comes to God. Something that he calls an abomination. There's no going back. And so when you remarry after an illegitimate initial divorce, that's called adultery. And so he says, you don't want to put somebody in that position. Number two, how does marriage to a divorced individual result in adultery? 
Well, because by marrying that person, you are participating in the permanent severance of that former relationship. You are an active and willing participant in that. And kind of as Jesus said, what God has joined together, let not man pull asunder. And by marrying that person, you are participating in the permanent severance of that relationship, that initial relationship. Well, if that's the case then, is that second marriage a real marriage? If, if the marriage permanently severs that first one, and now I'm marrying somebody else who was previously married, and it's called adultery, if we accepted and agreed that that's what Jesus is saying, is that second marriage a real marriage? Yes. It's a real marriage. It's a real covenant that includes all the divine design and God's intentions for permanence that are carried with it. You see that right out of Jesus' mouth when he speaks to the woman at the well. And he says, go and call your husband. And she's like, well, I don't have a husband. And he's like, yeah, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the guy you're currently with, you're not even married to. He's not even your husband. So Jesus, out of the mouth of Jesus, he recognized that this woman had been married five times. Five times. And each of those men he called a husband. And so what we see from scriptures is that, yes, if you do remarry, that is a real marriage. And it carries with it all the intentions of God's design and intent for what marriage is supposed to be. I want to ask one final question. Well, if that second marriage is adultery, but it's a real marriage, does that mean the marriage is a perpetual adultery? No. I don't believe so. It's just that initial act of marriage where you are permanently severating that former relationship kind of forever. Once the union is made, it's intended to be honored. You need to be married to that person. Moses called the separation from the second husband a divorce. He called it a divorce as he was giving out that case law. So we've established that there's no legitimacy to going back to the first one if you have married a second. And then you can carry it forward as many times as you want. The same principle applies. So what about the exception clause? What about this exception clause? Because there is a clause in the midst of this that says, Whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And then on and on the rest of the verse. So is Jesus providing an exception to this? It says, saving for the cause of fornication. And fornication is sexual immorality, where there has been an unfaithfulness to the commitment of one man and one, moment, one woman, unfaithfulness to the commitment made to the other individual. I want to point out first, before I start to explain the different views on this passage, that there is nothing in this passage that says you have to divorce someone who's been unfaithful to you. There's nothing in this passage that says you have to do that. Indeed, I would, I would argue that if grace can prevail and there can be repentance and forgiveness, 
the marriage can be healed. The marriage can go on. If all of those graces of God come to bear on the husband and on the wife. But is this a clause? Is this an exception clause that allows a legitimate divorce in the eyes of God? There are three views. Okay? There are three prevalent views. And based on what I can tell, these views exist within what I'll call biblically conservative Christianity, and I believe I have seen all three of these views among missionary Baptists. Um, And so this is kind of a simplification. But the first view is called the permanence view. The permanence view is that Jesus here in this passage is not speaking about marriage proper. He's speaking about Jewish betrothal. He's speaking about what happens, for example, when Mary and Joseph became espoused to one another, and Mary was found to be with child, and Joseph sought to put her away privately rather than causing a big scene, because he could have confronted her as essentially an adulteress, because they had committed to be married even though they had not yet been married. And so, with the permanence view... The view is that Jesus is not talking about somebody who actually got married. He's talking about Jewish betrothal. And there's, there are arguments for this standpoint that look at all sorts of different passages and try to tie things together. And I'm not here to belittle any of the different viewpoints. But that is one perspective. Another perspective is what's called the semi-permanent view. The semi-permanent view says this is speaking about marriage and it allows you to divorce, but there is no circumstance under which a person is free to remarry. You can divorce that, that, that spouse for unfaithfulness, but there is nothing in the Word of God that would allow you to remarry somebody else while that other person, the first person was still alive who had been unfaithful to you. And the third view is, is what's called the permissive view which says, yes, this passage is speaking about marriage and that if the divorce itself is on the grounds of unfaithfulness, the person has been unfaithful to you, they've cheated on you, they do not want to reconcile, you can legitimately divorce the person and would be free to remarry. This is not under the, semi, under, under the permissive view, this is not the only exception in Scripture. There's another one named in Paul's writings where he talks about a marriage between a believer and an unbeliever, that if the unbeliever wants to depart, let them depart. That is another rationale for divorce that's spoken of in the Scriptures that's biblically legitimate. But the permissive view indicate, it leans towards saying, yes, this is an exception clause, and a person who is in that circumstance is free to remarry. That is where I personally lean. Um, I'm, I'm not in the other camps, although there are people with very good arguments in all of these things. And this is kind of a simplification in trying to present these three different views because there's a lot of God's people on all different sides of these fences with really good intentions. But it is my belief and understanding that Jesus here is speaking about a legitimate rationale by which a husband or wife could divorce if a spouse has been unfaithful to him or her. So let's just talk for a second before we kind of wrap, wrap this up. I know this is not going to be a big testifying service afterwards. Um, yeah. 
The reason this passage is so hard is because marriage can be hard. And I don't say this in any way, shape, or form to try to speak negatively of my wife because the fact is marriage to me is hard. Fact. Okay? Just fact. (laughs) Marriage to me is hard. But I don't think that I'm on an island by myself. I think the reality, whether you've been married for a few years or whether you've been married for 70 plus years, marriage can be very hard. It can be very difficult to keep the vow when all of the things, life happens, kids come or kids don't come, and this and that and health and jobs and all sorts of many other myriads of things happen in life. Maintaining that relationship can be a very difficult and challenging thing. And I don't want to, as I kind of scan the room, I'm trying to think about who's in my, in my marriage small group. And I think I got at least a couple of you here tonight. And I've been talking to, to Mary about kind of where my heart's going to start off with this, but I'm going to give you a little teaser. But one of the great and glorious purposes of marriage is sanctification. One of the great and glorious purposes of marriage is to make you become more like Jesus Christ. It's pretty clear in Ephesians 5. And my friends, that process of becoming more like Jesus is hard. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing for a sinner to live with another sinner because you're both still sinners. I remember when I was a kid, I had, uh, I got one of those rock tumblers for a birthday or Christmas, who knows what. They were even louder back then. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 I hear it, yeah. I got a witness over here. Yeah. You put those rocks in there and you're going to make these jewels and then you set it out, you set it outside on the screen porch and you just hear, you know, just for days and days and days. And what's happening inside the tumbler is that those grits and those sands are wearing off the jagged edges of those stones and trying to make them into gems of some sort that you're going to mount on your little cheap gold plastic thing that they sent with the kit. If those stones could get out of the tumbler, they'd get out in a heartbeat. But the tumbler is sealed. The tumbler is meant to keep the rocks in there with the grit so that the process can go on and so that they can tumble and that they can become the gems that are hidden inside the rocks. And we live in a culture that is too easy for us to get out of the tumbler. It's too readily accepted to get out of the tumbler because we can lose sight so easy of what God is trying to do, not just in the other person because they need to get fixed, about what God's trying to do in you because you need to be fixed, because you need to be changed. Because ultimately, marriage is a picture between, about the relationship between Christ and His bride. 
One whom he has committed himself to. And I don't know about you, but God lives inside me. And that's got to be really annoying at times to live inside me. You know? How annoying is that when, when God's prompting us to spend time in prayer and wanting to flick through and look at cat videos? Right? Or find some other silly thing to waste our time on when he's wanting to draw us into his word or to do something or repent of something and we want to do anything but that, you know? Perhaps you can see some tie between that and some of the things that we face in a marital relationship. And I think it's important for us as we think about this to not lose sight of the bigger picture of what God is trying to do in your life. And that's what the promise is for. The promise, the commitment is made, is made with the intention, with God knowing. He set this up and He knew it was going to be like. And He is wanting us to commit to stay in the tumbler. And it's a long process. And it can be a hard process at times. But it's a process that is made to produce gems fit for the master's crown. And so the takeaways from this, and I want to be bold and honest, hopefully in a loving way, that whether this is your first marriage or your fifth marriage, it's God's will that you maintain this one. Whatever one you're in is the one God wants you to stay in. Second thing, please don't ask me to bless or legitimize an unbiblical divorce. This is God's word. And if I, if I compromise my convictions on this, I am of absolutely no use to you. And so please don't ask me to bless or legitimize an, an unbiblical divorce, at least as I see it. Now I recognize there can be varieties of opinions on all these things, and I am not, <laughs> I am not the fount of all knowledge. But we each have to be true to the convictions that we have and the way we read the Word of God and be faithful to that. Please do not ask me to perform a marriage that I believe God calls an act of adultery. Because then I'm participating in it. And I also want to close with this. Through repentance, whatever we've been, whatever we've done, God can forgive us. God can change us. And God can heal broken hearts. And that's a fact. And so, may God's word be honored tonight and if there was any truth in there may his spirit get behind it and if there was any error in that God help us to overcome that and me to figure out a better way what's on your hearts tonight